Hey guys, it's season four of The Rosin Diaries. I hope you've been enjoying it so far and we have lots more to talk about. to the end of season four of the podcast um so i'm just going to do a roundup of everything today where i am in my career my life what's going on and talk about the podcast how it's gone this season season four we're can you believe it next it'll be season five so stay tuned as i talk scoring for films as i talk stage at shows as i talk meeting royalty and so much more start the final episode of season four I it's just before my stage it show actually so oh god I'm always got a washing machine on when I do the podcast I'm in the living room but I can hear this washing machine from the kitchen British people in their washing machines oh eh? it'd be it'd be the American equivalent of sitting in a laundromat doing a podcast <laughs> it's because by Wednesday when I record the podcast it's, you know, it's getting to a stage where clothes need to be washed. But yeah, so much has gone on. I mean, from starting season four to now, um, restrictions have very much changed in the UK. I don't like to talk politics too much, but I'm going to say starting season four, the biggest worry was kind of the pandemic and how we're going to come out of that and get our lives back. And now ending season four, the biggest worry is the Russia-Ukraine kind of crisis, which is, who knew that was going to, well, probably quite a lot of people, but yeah, couldn't we just have some happy news? Well, I'm not going to dwell on, the reason I do care deeply about a lot of things that go in the world, but I choose not to dwell on the things that I have no control over more than necessary i just don't think it's my place i think you can get updated on this news wherever you go and i feel like my place in this world is to give you something you know a respite so um while you're waiting for season five of the podcast feel free to head on over and join my patreon as you can continue to get content from me there and i am planning to up um, upload an individual in between podcasts to Patreon at some point, so exclusively for you Patreons. But on there, you get depending on what level you're on, you get everything from merchandise sent to you for free every three months to um, everyone gets recorded tracks from my stage at show. So songs that I've played on stage are often not my own. It's so tricky to release music on Spotify that's not your own. I've done it a few times at Hands of Gold or Despacito, but in all honesty, it's a lot of work and most of the royalties go elsewhere. So um, on Patreon, I release music by other people that you enjoy me playing, everything from Taylor Swift to... I'm trying to think what else I've done I've done Billie Eilish I've done yeah like loads of loads of covers and I do those at the stage it shows and I record them in high quality for you guys on Patreon in addition to that all my music comes out if it's my own it's not attached to a film you get to help me with it on Patreon so from naming the piece to listening to first cuts to sometimes watching me compose um 
you get loads and loads of stuff you get special free concerts from time to time absolutely loads so go check out the patreon i'll put the link in the description here but now on to film scoring so i've been waiting for one film so films have got dry I did say, I was talking to a few um, stage artists about would they like to join me on film music because they write, um, they write songs with words and I don't do that. So if, if it was ever needed, could I, if a film director needed that, could I put them in their direction? And I was talking to them saying, I think 2022 is going to be the year when it starts opening up and more film scoring jobs are coming in. But I've been waiting for one film for a very, very, very long time. While that happened, while I'm waiting for that, um, thanks to my music being so well received at music festivals for the comedy horror Don't Open the Box, another director has got in touch with me for another horror. So I'm waiting for a drama, I got a horror, and then um, now the drama's come in, the horror's coming in at any day, so they're all coming in together, which is very difficult to come, luckily they're not feature films, they are shorts, so it's not so bad, um, then I've got another one that should be coming in in April as well, so loads of films going on, the difficulty is at the moment on one of my films, there's two directors, and they have different ideas for the music, I'm not going to say which film that is. I'm not going to go into it. And they're both, both their ideas are good, but their ideas don't match. And so it's like, which approach do you want? So <laughs> that's, that's a discussion that should be had sooner rather than later. Um, but yeah, so scoring for films, it's, it's something I really enjoy doing. And the reason I enjoy it is because I find it incredibly, incredibly, incredibly creative. It's one of the most creative things I do. So a lot of the time with working in the arts, you can have ego attached to your projects. So when I perform a lot, you are performing for the audience. You're kind of showing off a little bit. Um, and so a lot of my thoughts is in entertaining the crowd. And when you think like that a lot, when, when I think like that a lot, it actually removes the creative process for me because I'm not creating, I'm recreating my music, if that makes sense, um, for a crowd. So composing, you're not performing in front of anyone, you're doing it completely on your own and you get to be creative. But again, if you're just creating music to release on Spotify, then is a kind of ego attached to it where you're you can become quite self-indulgent with the music and you're creating for yourself i find the fascinating thing about film is it removes all ego from the musician because you're a small cog well quite an important cog it's you know if you see our names on the credits are pretty high um you look on imdb it goes director producers then composer that's how important we are <laughs> but we are we're it's not our project we don't I, I love being able to leave the ego at the door and, and you know check myself because at the end of the day it's the director the director's word is final and so whatever I think I can give my suggestions this music should go here or this music should go there but at the end of the day it's not down to me I'm just supplying 
what the director wants and needs and feels best for their film. And so that's absolutely amazing because you have to start working with a lot of empathy and you have to see things through the director's eyes. It's not my way in the highway anymore, or the, my way or the highway anymore. It's very much working collaboratively with other people and by getting their perspective and making their vision a reality then you get to see things through new eyes and you get to create music that you would never have thought of yourself because you have to do this problem solving all the time i love being given boundaries as well so sometimes when you're you start a piece just for yourself there's no boundaries to it and you can create anything you want and sometimes it's too much whereas strict boundaries is quite a good thing and I can compose very quickly for film actually I'm quite impressed with my speed of composition for film um so I absolutely love it I love sitting there in a darkened room and the only thing is you need a break from film composing because you know I do sit there in a darkened room without makeup on um for hours and I do things like I won't eat lunch till I've got two minutes of music or four cues done or something like that. And so I get my tummy starts rumbling and then I start composing faster. But you do need to get away from it. You need to. Um, and that's where joining the gym really helped me because it's the complete opposite to performing where you're being very social and you're being around people composing your hours and hours and hours on your own. So it is a really good idea to get out and about. And that's why I like performing and composing I think the two balance you know one is being far too social and far too all eyes on you and the other one is like living like I don't know like a troll under a bridge <laughs> just creating in pure darkness so yeah film scoring I'm leaving you guys um but feel free to you know follow me on social media or like go to patreon you can keep up on this journey but I'm leaving you with f three films about to be started and Ukraine and Russia not looking good over there <laughs> now the stage it shows I'm very very pleased uh, throughout doing this this season of the podcast I got to I've, I've reached over 400 stage it shows so I do four shows a week and I'm continuing to do that I was planning to play live in festivals this year but the thing is music venues are opening up and films are opening up and there's going to be a big race and a big competition to who gets those and I didn't think I should put my eggs in loads of different baskets I thought I should really commit to one performing live or film and film actually at this stage of my life it means more to me and I think also because I reached like a higher level in performing because I've been doing it longer that's I think it was much more important to my film career to not derail it and not have that time away. So I'll, I will be going back to performing at classical music festivals next summer, 2023. I will get out there live again. I've done some live concerts. I may do one or two over the year, but I'm not going to put... The problem is as well, a lot of people want me to bring my stage it shows, what I've created there, and kind of get something going for a festival. Um, but in music festivals, I will not be playing to recorded accompaniment. So I, in all, it's going to be a big job going live with what I do on stage it because I will need to cost up 
like you know what are the fees for the festival then I need to get some musicians to accompany me like how many musicians is it like is is the budget kind of like 20 musicians or is the budget like two musicians and then I have to arrange all my music um to, for parts for those musicians whatever I you know so it's it's a lot more than pre-pandemic I wasn't really performing my own music much and I mainly played other classical music and I was accompanied by full orchestra you know I would be hired by orchestra to solo or um chamber music with a pianist but this is very different because what I've created has so many different sounds um that I don't know how I'm going to condense it so it's, it'll take quite a bit of work to get back to ve uh, venues with the new stuff I'm doing on stage yet so I think I'll leave it for 2023 because I'm quite busy with the films now but stage it's are going so well. I'm very, very pleased with them. Um, for I and I enjoy watching them myself. My plan is I love I love the stage it shows. I don't think stage it's replaced live music. I think they um, what is the word? They sit nicely alongside them. So as many of you know that I'm in the countryside, so music venues there's none near me. I have to drive or get a train or something to go to a music venue like London but also you know like towns around like um South End and things like that that's just become a city actually and so I like it that I can watch concerts many nights a week and I think the way I'm going to include stage it into my I was going to do this last summer but we didn't open up as much as I thought I'm going to have a stage it party um this is my plan. So one night on stage it, I'm going to invite people, um, friends, to a barbecue at my house in my garden. And what we're going to do is have a white screen and I'm going to project other people's concerts on there. So all night long we can watch stage it concerts and then I'm going to perform in my garden for stage it and then you guys can watch the show. And I feel like amazing I don't know I like to try new things I like to experiment I like to see how technology can help us not hinder us so that's what I'm planning to do this summer um and I think that'd be kind of fun I want to do lots of stage it I'm planning to use stage it as the main form of entertainment for guests now I mean how cool is that they can watch like all you guys like all the people around the world when they're you know like come to mind come watch your stage it show this is what I'm planning on doing big time so I'm very very pleased I'm pleased how they're going I'm pleased with the imagery um I've always been a bit weird <laughs> and I always this is a weird thing that Daniel Roberts knows about me actually I um I see images with music, which really works well being a film composer, by the way. So when I'm learning a piece of music, like by Beethoven, I'll create a whole story and I can like see the images in my mind. Um, I've always done that. It, music has always told a story for me. And I used to always muck around when I was rehearsing with Daniel and telling him all these stories about the music. So I see a lot of imagery and I really like it that on stage it shows... I get to incorporate the backgrounds with the green screen. I mean, sometimes we just get a CCTV from around the world and we just go and visit there. But also when we're doing the elaborate storylines like the Peaky Blinders or Alice in Wonderland, I love that. I love how music can be so um, visual on stage. It's very, very good. So that's going well. So I think the plan over, like, coming up to September will be films 
push for films, push for films, continue with stage it, and maybe a few, one or two live concerts that don't involve too much planning. You know, like, don't involve me having to recruit musicians and having to budget out their f- and contracts and things like that. You know, just something simple. Perhaps I'll do me and, and a piano or something like that. So that's good, but I don't know what. I mean, Daniel's coming to the UK in April. I wonder if we... I don't know. It's not much time, is it? I wonder if we could get a venue in London. We'll see about that. That's a maybe. And finally, for this podcast... I'm going to tell you about meeting royalty. And by meeting royalty, I mean Prince Charles got to meet me, musical royalty. <laughs> no, um, so what happened was I've never actually met any royals. I, you know, like in the UK, I think most people, like if you're not from the UK, you won't know, you know, like do we like the royals? Do we, how do, what, it's hard to explain really because we don't really think about the royals too much because we just boom with them there and they're just there you know but if you're coming from a country that doesn't have royalty it must seem very strange i'm guessing um so really i'd say there's a lot of indifference in the uk so because they're just there we're kind of indifferent and the only time we ever kind of have to think about them is when perhaps they're threatened you know like perhaps thinking about getting rid of the royals and then we're like, hmm, do we want that or not? That's what I think. I think most people sit quite indifferently in the middle. But whenever polls are done, if you really have to think about it, there is actually quite a lot of the UK want to keep them. So that's probably the average stance of an average British person. Then next time you have people that are quite indifferent. There's less of these people really quite indifferent. And... But if there's us, probably get rid of them, don't need them. You know, it's a modern world. It would be their argument. Then you have people, the spectrum, like, branches out with less and less. So on the positive side, you'll get to the fanatical royals. There's only a few of them. (laughs) And they dress in all the flag and everything. They turn up to every royal wedding. They'll camp out for a week, you know. They've got all the crockery. And then on the other side, you've got people who really, really, really hate the royals. But most people are in the middle, kind of indifferent, but kind of want to keep them. I'd say I'm in the middle, kind of indifferent, but moving towards quite like them. As I, I think when I was a kid, I was kind of indifferent. Um, I didn't even watch royal weddings when... Well, there wasn't any royal weddings when I was young, I don't think. Um, there was this period where everyone got married. They, everyone was married or too young to get married. So I think Edward may have got married. I don't remember his wedding. Then, like, the big royal wedding that I remember was William and Kate was the first big one that came. And then, obviously, Harry and Meghan. Um, But I, like, for William and Kate's wedding, I don't, I think I kind of did watch it. I wasn't that, you know, bothered. But as I've, you know, got older and grown up, I have got more and more into the royals, actually. I do see a point for them. And also, even if you don't see a point for them, I see them, I... Okay, and I don't like all royals. I don't like them just because they're royal. But there is, like... I like the main branch. They seem very hardworking. And they seem very dedicated. I think, like, if I was going to create a new country, I wouldn't go, do you know what the good idea is? Passing down leadership from based on DNA. Yeah, that sounds stupid, I know. But they don't actually... They're an evolution. Our royals today are not the royals they once were. 
And it actually made sense. So not many people know this. Many people say that, well, there is a thing, people go, um, who aren't from the UK, say they're actually like just warlords who got there through um, like brute force. That isn't actually totally correct. Or potentially at some points in the royal line, there were warlords, but it wasn't actually. So our royal family, as it is today, goes back to um, Alfred the Great just gonna say he's called Alfred the Great because he named himself that but um up at so they were the Saxons and they came over and they got rid of all the Welsh and and you know we won't go into that but that was kind of when they came over they weren't so much warlords as tribes so you can't really think of them as warlords at that time because they were pagan tribes the Saxons they were like the Vikings they come from a similar place we've had a lot of that going on we have a lot of people coming um, you know just fighting each other because and they basically come because they wanted a better life for their tribe they were starving where they were there was an ice age yeah 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 so they came in as a tribe and I'll go admit there must have been some fighting going on but once the Saxons settled and they eventually became Christianized and everything um but throughout this time the Saxons they weren't passing it down even when they're tribey they weren't passing down leadership from like dad to son what would happen is the they would have something called a witten and all the great sort of household well basically you got voted to be head of the tribe from being the one that the tribe thought would be the the best leader so they got voted in so it was a, a very much a voting system before it went passing down this got refined as the Saxons became more sort of like more modern and Christianized and they like had better buildings and things like that. The families that continuously rose up through those tribes became like, you know, like lords and stuff. And then the they'd have a king of their tribe. And the Saxons had lots of kingdoms in the UK. So they had um, West Saxon, which is was Wessex, that doesn't exist anymore. Um, East Saxon, that's where I am, Essex really ancient county this one then you had like mercia in the middle there's loads of different ones but each little kingdom had its own um ruler but it wasn't passed down from father to son it was voted in so they'd have a witten which is where all the major families come together and they vote um what the king could do is like suggest who he thinks would be his best predecessor and his opinions after he died would be taken into account, but it was effectively voted in by the Witham. And this is actually how King Alfred got to be king. Because, oh, I can't remember his name, but his brother was king. Oh, I can't remember, you know, whatever. King Alfred's brother was king and he had a son. And his son was an idiot. And so, and King Alfred was clever. So King Alfred talked to the Witten and they basically um the son of the king was like oh no no he wants me to be king and king alfred's like no he didn't you don't want him to be king and so king alfred got voted even though he's the brother because it wasn't passed down genetically now the problem is about at that time it the reason it they started king alfred started passing it down genetically so he passed it down to his son edward it was still kind of in the works but he kind of started that as being more of a thing until it was just passed down to the oldest son. It was very sensible at the time to do that because every time a king died and there was a Witten and loads of people were going for king, there would be lots of fighting. 
and all the lords would be fighting each other and then other kings would then come in and try and take over their kingdom so it created a lot of unrest so this original passing down of power thing was a very clever move in the sense that it stopped it, it made things more peaceful and it gave people a better life without so much death and destruction however over time we've worked out that probably like if you in pose a few more rules you know you have a, a policing and, and systems and rules you know we've moved forward and so we're back to voting now the royals on the other hand they've evolved too and they don't rule our country anymore um they are a constitutional monarchy but the way i see them is they are incredibly i mean i admire anyone who has so much purpose in their life like they really believe in what they do and there's not many people around who are like that. When I compare it to celebrities who are just, I don't know, many, many celebrities kind of are just living their best life on their private jet. The royals, main branch, I'm not going to talk about Andrew, the royals don't have a day off and they work until they die. And they really, really, really care about our country more than any politician. I mean, I've actually voted for the Queen. I like her. Um... So I do, I admire him. I admire having someone in my life who is that dedicated. And I would, the Queen is the head of the Church of England. Just going to say, not many people are that religious in the UK. Um, they, it's a bit empty, Church of England. It's our official um, religion, but like not, not, the, the churches are quite empty. Um, they just look pretty. But I would compare her to kind of the Pope. Okay, he was vote he's voting, I get that. But you know, like they dedicate their life to service and to something that is bigger than themselves. And that's how I like having that. I like having someone when I'm down or where I losing momentum or when I losing belief in myself. It is nice to see someone who's like working harder than you and has been doing it a lot longer. So I like them. I like the royals. I think it's good. I, I like how they evolve as well. They're slimming down the royals now. They're getting off, rid of like, you know, like some of them are a bit lazy on the side, aren't they? Andrew. <laughs> and so they're slimming it down to the main branch. And I think that's great. But I've never gone to see the royals, mainly because I don't want to appear like one of those people who dresses head to toe in a flag and are obsessed with them. So I, I've never, ever done it. But So I, I admire them from afar. But... Um, unfortunately, Southend, um, an MP, was stabbed by a terrorist and died just at the same time I was doing a stage it show. So Southend is a, was a town in my county. I'm about 20 minutes from there. And just as I started my stage it show, that happened. I came off my stage it show and it was all over the news. David Amos, he was working to get Southend a city. So the Queen granted it as a city... Um, because you know because he died and out of respect for him so prince charles the future king and camilla future queen consort came to Southend to turn it into a city and i thought do you know what i think that i since the pandemic i've just been trying to make a few more memories so i thought that would be a lovely memory i've met the future king and i did i did meet him he spoke to me he has i was surprised by this quite callous quite hard calloused hands he shook my hand and I'm gonna say 
that's I was surprised by that because I felt royalty wouldn't ever like be doing much with their hands it should be quite soft right but he does like plants and gardens I wonder if he does a lot of gardening because his hands are callous whatever he's doing he must be doing some kind of physical activity because his hands were, were more the hands of a builder than a king so learned something new Camilla was lovely as well and I'm so glad I got to meet them and made that memory and yeah I will always say I met the king in, well when he's the king which I hope will never happen because I'm planning to not let the queen die because I really like her but thank you for tuning in to my season finale of this month's podcast feel free to follow me everywhere come to the stage it shows come on to my patreon I'm going to leave some links in the description here and I hope to see you at season five Thank you for joining me for season four of the podcast. I hope you love to listen. Make sure you give me a follow on whatever platform you're listening on and tell your friends and family about it. Oh, also, if you love it so much, give it a review. A good one. <laughs>